mostly on the stage. Plus, had your best friend in high when there was nothing on the watch. So I watched Oppenheimer and loved it. It's a very good movie. I have not seen it yet, but I'm sure it is. I think you'll like it. Yeah. Because they focus on the right aspects. Like, this is a movie that if you were going into it, I mean, all the talk beforehand. I never talk about movies, but I saw Oppenheimer and just wanted to mention it. Because I haven't already mentioned it on social media multiple times. When I... Life-changing movie, apparently. No, it wasn't a life-changing movie, but it was very good. And I really liked it because it focused on the right stuff. It focused on the person. It focused on all of his moral qualms and quandaries about what he was doing. And it left it vague enough to where you didn't actually know what he thought. You kind of knew what you thought. You thought he thought. But you didn't actually know. And it focused on the character itself, which I found really, really refreshing and touching. Because movies like that are not mainstream movies. You know, you don't get... Not anymore, unfortunately. No, not anymore. And so the fact that this was allowed to be made, made the way it should have been made, and then ends up doing what it does. I mean, yes, part of a fad and a Twitter joke, but it was still... A really really great movie i don't care about movies all that much i'll watch them every now and again i want to watch killers of the flower moon at some point napoleon but i don't usually yeah, set aside yeah. time to watch movies like that but i i really love this movie i thought it was great and so who was who directed oppenheimer christopher nolan okay i was gonna be one of my the few names i was gonna yeah christopher nolan yes so all, all the batman stuff and all that but i i mean i'm not a comic book movie guy Never have been. All of that stuff no, yeah. definitely passed me by. I usually watch movies if it's on a topic I'm very interested in. So it's either a sports movie or often a history movie. And this is a history movie, so it's right up my wheelhouse. I miss, like, the movies that were just based off of, like, a one-off premise. Like, here's these people in this situation. The situation lasts for this long, and here's the 90 minutes on it. You know? Like, your buddy cop films, your plane train automobiles here that kind of we, we need good spoof movies but then scary movie killed that so you know we can't have like airplane anymore like the kinds of movies that are i'm wired to like are movies that i'm probably not going to see it's why i don't go to many movies although i do have to say i'm going to watch napoleon at some point because again history geek this this stuff had like the, the 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 TikTok meme about men always think about the Roman Empire is probably describing me. I watch a lot of history stuff on the Roman Empire and Roman Republic. Again, the memes the memes appropriate for a reason. But I'm waiting to watch Napoleon, and I know it's a movie that's going to have a lot of historical inaccuracies. And the good part about Oppenheimer was even if they twisted things and melded things a little differently for narrative effect, like it didn't distract from the story. And that's what's really important. Like, you strive for historical accuracy, and that's why I also want to watch Killers of the Flower Moon, because that, too, is a history thing. If you have historical accuracy, it's not necessary, but it, you have to have it right enough to where it's not distracting. I know in Napoleon, at some point, it's going to be distracting, and that's going to probably be annoying. Anyway, I was going to open with another joke. Not a history joke, but I guess this could be considered a history joke. It's a classic rock joke, I guess. Um, congratulations to our friends at the Nashville Predators. You didn't have to see you 2 at the Sphere, which is good because, I mean, remember 10 years ago when they forced everyone to download their album on iTunes that no one wanted? Yeah, they, U2 is just a, uh, I, I feel like they're an industry plant at this point. <laughs> Obviously, they're, 
they 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 didn't start out that way but now it just seems like they're the corporate face of like the music industry when they want to try new things or do new things they kind of U2 always seems to raise their hand first or get there first and make a bunch of money or force people to listen to their music. You know what I'm going to mention here about the – it's not the sphere. This isn't the worst thing U2's ever done by far. And you are – and not the sphere, but the the iTunes stuff, which everyone remembers. They did something far worse than that. I don't know if you remember this, but I – this was in the nascent Twitter days when it was a lot more fun. Uh, Do you remember there was a Spider-Man musical – and it played on Broadway. Um, this movie was famous for the stunts. Uh, movie, excuse me. It would be a lot funnier if it was a movie, too. It would have been like Rust. This uh, play was famous for the stunts that they were doing. Wire stuff because it's Spider-Man. And then people would fall into the orchestra pit and break their arms. And horrible stuff was happening, right? Hilarious. But very horrible. The oh music God. for that show was made by Bono and the Edge. It is, like, go look it up, and you can listen. Like, I remember watching a YouTube review with a great YouTuber of Todd in the Shadows, Lindsay Ellis. They're wonderful. And they were just talking about this play because everybody was going, oh, my God, this is horrible, in a way we've never seen before. And if you listen to some of the songs, it's like they just slightly rewrote U2 songs. And so the music stunk. It was hilarious. That's the worst thing U2 ever did. But I guess for the Predators, it worked because they just swept a five-game road trip. I thought it was Bono pretending to be blind wearing sunglasses all the time. I thought oh, that I, was... I think I, – I don't know about that because I, I've seen that a lot more. Uh, other people are trying to do that. Um, I guess the other – No, they just they just seem like they're more pomp and circumstance than they are substance, which I mean for – I mean I guess you could talk about Rattle and Hum that way anyway. Who cares? Uh, too much about you 2 in this show, but congrats to the Predators – they got denied the ability to see U2 at the Sphere and see where the NHL draft will be held. How will the NHL possibly screw that up? And they've gone on a five-game winning streak since. So apparently Andrew Burnett was right. But it definitely reminded me of a wonderful, funny, hilarious story regarding another Andrew Burnett coach team and something that they probably shouldn't have done for fun. Oh, well. Well, I I don't want to talk about that. I still get upset that that gets, one, attributed to Huberto because he was the one they traded. And because he had a misinterpreted quote in a press conference, it could have been any player that suggested it or wanted to go to a strip club or whatever. And two, it's an unsubstantiated rumor that came from one source, which is a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. No, it was a Tampa Bay. It was a radio station in Tampa Bay, which I know. I I brought it up because it reminded me of it. But yes, no, I know that rumor is apocryphal probably. You seem to always get my goat. I don't know why, but no, I don't try to. I don't try to naturally get you with that. It's just that it brought the Andrew Burnett thing brought it up. I I think here here's here's why I think it gets my goat is because it just is it's people getting mad and like the the hockey fandom and everything is so hard to read because like Burnett does this right and all the fans are like, can he even do that? Like it's their free time and blah blah blah. I'm like. It's, technically not their free time i mean they're on a work trip but uh you know anyway like that it's just ridiculous that that's like being considered uh when they sucked and it's commonplace that when you suck as a hockey team the coach does one of two things he bag skates you or he takes something away and usually he picks the one that you're going to hate the most uh so obviously brunette's 
probably bags gated them once or twice and was like, this doesn't really seem to work or bother them too much. Uh, I got to take away a toy or this is one of the times we get a really cool toy. I can make a really big statement. And I think that's more than fair. I, I obviously didn't think Brunette was the right head coach for the Panthers, but I'm happy he's getting a chance. And I think he's definitely earned from his experience, the leeway to make this, this decision. He's not, I, I, you know, it's not like an, cruel or unusual punishment not being able to go to a concert on a you know a team trip um it's not like they're squirts and you know playing in-house or something no, I, and i didn't find anything particularly yeah. wrong with that it's just like yeah this is what coaches do i mean even at the nhl level when these are highly paid pro athletes this is what coaches do it motivates them and again apparently it worked they've won five straight games yeah i mean i, I think there's a lot of just uh, and what was what was the other thing I was trying to tie it to? I forget. I was trying to tie that You'll to You'll remember as we discussed the piece I wrote for Why Hockey recently. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to, you know, punishment or uh, kind of the coach-player relationship, uh, they're definitely – I don't mind there being a little more uh, of of the hammer and kind of that – mentality oh no the strip club incident that's what i was going with this and to tie that and wrap that point up real quickly is uh with the strip club and stuff people were getting on them because huberto said something about like oh it's three nothing who cares and his intention was who cares you can come back from three nothing it's happened before that's our mentality we're not looking at it people took it as he didn't care which is just shows you the lack of reading or comprehension skills uh, that that are out there, and and then because of that, he was tied to this stupid rumor about the strip club and everything, forgetting the fact that if it's true, not only does it show that Jonathan Huberto actually cares, it's what historically teams do in the regular season or the playoffs to get their mojo back. You know, it's been talked about on many podcasts that we don't have to name um, and, you know, by tons of players. And, you know, the most famous example is the St. Louis Blues in the city of Philadelphia, turning their season around, getting drunk in a bar, singing uh, a bad song from the early 80s. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I it, it could it's not like they were singing Betty Davis eyes, but it was. Oh, OK. Oh, Gloria. No, it would have been a lot funnier if they were doing Frankie Goes to Hollywood, but it's hockey, yeah, so we can't have that. Yeah, or, I mean, it would have been great if it was Come on Arlene, or, I mean, there's just so many choices. Gloria's okay, I guess. But anyway. Well, it would have been, fu again, it would have been funnier if they're telling people to relax, but, you know, again, hockey, we can't have that. Yeah, the, the idea of going out as a team and tying one on together is tied and true, and... I mean, like, again, this this is a league where we do not talk about the rampant use of cocaine and other things and all that stuff. And whenever there is a story, cough, cough, this week, last week, um, it never focuses on um, why, how many, how prevalent it is, how it's used, um, and how it's treated different than some of. Some or, other let thing. alone all of the medication that people are put on and uh yeah, yeah I, and listen listen i'm not like some of the people who were cops and like quote and like tagging the video 
with like people who report on the league and work in the league and stuff. There's a better use of your time on Elon yes, Musk's I, site. I, yeah, I, I mean, I take it more from if this is something that you're concerned about, it is a mental health and drug abuse issue, and we already know that punitive and criminal criminal ways of dealing with that do not work. So uh, I don't know why you'd have to act like that. But uh, my big point is like. If Huberto and the Panthers went to a strip club, who cares, to use his words? Because that's what the Tampa Bay Lightning have done. That's what the Blues have done. That's what many teams have done en route to winning, being good teams, or even winning a cup. So, yeah. Also, I want to make one more brief point before we get to the uh, Why Hockey Substack article, the rare one. I promised I yeah. would write a lot more in the preseason and I broke my promise. Sorry. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, we just have to get to the ad, you know, for the local strip club and, you know, get back to our there, regular there, talk. There is still an ad that sometimes plays on cable in the Philadelphia area for a strip club that was filmed in like 2006 and the aspect ratio is so bad. <laughs> it's really, really funny. It's one Those of are like, the best. It's a, it's great. It was like it literally was filmed in like 2006, so you could tell the aspect ratio. It's like you don't even get like you know four three. It's like there's a box on the top and the bottom. But anyway, the the black history jerseys. By the way, we were talking about those. Uh, why, why they are fantastic. Have to play if for I just wanted Forsling to like not play that night or he something. He almost didn't. Just just so like it, his jersey would have gone somewhat within a realm of maybe I could have think about affording it but nope he had to score the game winner and now it's a good good north of one thousand dollars and i'm not yesterday and it's 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 Um, highly unfortunate because while it's all going to charity and by the way as i gotta say the panthers in their specialty uniforms pride night uh no vamos gatos night that uniform they had the logo with like the panther clock crushing the logo of florida which i was like isn't that appropriate by the way but that logo absolutely rocked (laughs) incredible logo and these uniforms are incredible by the way like i don't like there are some teams that do specialty jerseys really well the kraken do them really well i think the devils have had a couple that are are pretty good i think the canucks have a couple that are pretty awesome but like the panthers knock them out of the park and they can't wear them on the ice here's my here's my official statement on all jerseys moving forward I think that the NHL should have as many jerseys as they can, sell as many jerseys as they can. So you want them to be a soccer team, basically. Yes. Change your jersey every year if you want. I don't care. I I honestly think that it generates revenue. It sells merchandise, and it it helps hockey-related revenue, helps the cap, helps the league. I mean, and fans want it. Uh, now, I, I while really you are saying this, I do want to make one point, considering it will be Fanatics making the jerseys in the fall. That's why you need more jerseys, because they're constantly going to be getting, falling apart and getting repaired. Well, look, I mean, I have been talking about making hockey gayer for a very long time on this podcast. It is one of my hobby horses, but I didn't think we were going to get see-through jerseys. Now, I have many jokes I can make here. But the audience for this show is probably too straight for most of those jokes, so I won't make them. But uh, you you can understand that, uh, yes, baseball see-through jerseys, they're very amusing to me. I enjoy it. Wish they were being worn by some hotter baseball players than are modeling them at this moment in time. It is unfortunate, but... It's just, it's early to the season, though. You gotta remember that. 
Um, you know. So you so you mean the jerseys are going to become even more see through as people sweat through them? Yeah, and, and that, yeah. I mean, like we are going to be playing in Houston. At least they have the roof closed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what. They, well, I, I mean, Philly in July is disgusting. So you know, we'll yeah. see you oh, there too. DC, DC. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there will, there will be Swamp. more. The good news is for that those uh, for those national players wearing see-through jerseys is nobody will be in the crowd to see it because you know it's the Nats, and nobody will be able to watch it because it's Masson. Anyway, hey, let's... I think I think that they at least fill fifteen percent of that stadium a night. So you got to give it to those fifteen. Also, solidarity with the Oakland Athletics fans who are being given the runaround by Major League Baseball and some of the worst ownership in sports I've ever seen. I got to be honest. The MLB is definitely resting on their laurels when it comes to how many bad ownerships there are, and I'm I'm somewhat optimistic that the Baltimore Orioles ownership changes could maybe start a positive chain of other ownership changes, Colorado Rockies, etc. Oh um, yeah, but also absolutely, but also pub, private equity. So you know, yeah, I know, know that's, that's what I told. Play. I have some friends who are Orioles fans. Uh, who I who I care dearly about, and I had the and I did the monkey's paw curling because it's like this guy's got a lot of money, but it's private equity. It's the same people who decided that the best way to run a media band like like Vice is to just not update it and hope people remember what Vice used to be and not yeah. remember what it is, which is one of the stupidest business plans I've ever seen. Again, everybody who runs a media company at this point thinks that media isn't profitable. And isn't a successful business. They're the only people who think that because the journalists can figure out how to do it. If I know how to run a media business better than you do, media executives, that's a huge problem because I didn't go to business school. Anyway, Florida Panthers, why hockey substack? I wrote about possible <laughs> players that they could trade for. 20 minutes into a why hockey show, we finally you get did. to talking about the Panthers. That's a why hockey staple, friends. The other, the other why hockey staple is rehashing talking points from the past, but it's I'm okay. I'm talking, I'm talking to the P- Pittsburgh Penguins for Jake Gensel. Uh, that's a hundred percent. I'm, I'm trying to weasel him away. You know, casting, you know, just basically saying you can re-sign him in the off season, but think of the, you know, the assets you can get. Blah blah blah. Obviously, you know, whatever you're saying is tongue in cheek. If he does well, you'll try to keep him too if you can. Uh, but. He, I think, is the perfect type of player. Um, there's only so many centers that uh, are comparable to playing with, with the amount of what you have to be ready for and always kind of aware of. Crosby's one of them with Barkov. So somebody who can play on both wings of Crosby and, and you know, play with Malkin and some others too. He can play defensive hockey enough. Um, you know, he, he's... But he just excels at one thing, which is scoring in the playoffs. And I I think he's the perfect get. And I think out of – there's a lot of teams you can trade with. This is a team that you can move your biggest and best piece, which is Spencer Knight, to. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins and Kyle Dubas would be interested in Spencer Knight. Um, and as – and I think, you know, just – Taking the person out of this, we could call, let's just call this guy uh, Craig Anderson or, you know, whoever you want, whatever goalie you want to, uh, Scott Clemenson, you know, whatever, Alex Hall, whatever 
insert say Theodore Al-, Al Montoya, you know, whatever standard Panther backup you want to just pretend, you know, this is, this is him. This is a four and a half million dollar goalie. Um, and you, you, it's three and a half million on the dead books. And, but you're Which, still by the paying. way, there will be less dead money on the books when the cap goes up next year. So even more of it will be buried. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how it works because I think you can only bury so so much. It's a percentage uh, of the contract you can bury, basically, or a monetary limit. But that is tied in directly to the cap because it went up this year. It's it, you're basically only burying enough to be able to pay for the goalie that you need to replace him because he's not your backup goalie. So it's not it's not like you're actually saving money. It's just be it's just a being pushed to the side. You're getting a the, almost a free backup goalie if you want to get a bargain bin one. So maybe you price yourself out of Stolars if you can't convince him to come back on a somewhat discount um, and you're hoping to refine another Stolars, which they've shown they can do. Are there any other Flyers organizational depth goaltenders <laughs> that are going to need a job next year? Because we've gone from Alex Lyon to Anthony if Stolars you, to... If you, if you watch that Pittsburgh Flyers game over the weekend, I yes, did. but not the ones you want. No, absolutely not. Maybe they'll trade Felix Sandstrom. I'm kidding. You know, on eventually, that, eventually, that dead money, whether it's three point five or three million, it's still going to be a huge chunk of change. I mean, we're talking, you know, Keith Yandel dead money in that bad year, almost kind of chunk of change, and Zito's going to need to use it for a competing team. Whether it's to keep Montour around, whether it's to, um, you know, have flexibility to make a move in the summer besides keeping everybody you know or to make a trade next year at the deadline eventually Zito's going to want to use that money versus maybe spencer knight turns it around here because it's more likely spencer knight turns it around in a different organization not because of spencer knight or anything just because that's usually how it goes um you know, it took Mike Matheson two organizations. He kind of got it back a little bit in Pittsburgh, but he didn't really kind of put it together on a consistent basis until Montreal. And he's still Mike Matheson. He's still Mike Matheson. There's, you know, so did you see him get turnstiled on a couple of those goals over the weekend against the Devils? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a shame his development was just so but you can't get it back and it's the same thing with spencer knight it's a shame his development was so interrupted so poorly handled a lot of things but it is what it is and you have to factor that into the situation and at the end of the day you're in the middle of your cup window and the Zito is not going to be here in the aftermath of this core, but he's sure as hell going to make his legacy on this core, and he needs to go for a Stanley Cup. And I trust him to go for it. So if moving Spencer Knight is something that he feels is good to do now at the draft in the summer at next deadline, I, I fully I fully agree with it. And if Knight turns it around, I won't hold it against Zito because, you know, at that point, it'll be it'll likely be at the end of the window, and it's just like okay, yeah. Then we'd have night and a t- and it, it, it doesn't really matter, you know. I don't know. So, I definitely wanted to expand upon that point because he is the most valuable trade chip in the Panthers organization. I know some Panthers fans got a little freaked out when Elliot Friedman mentioned 
uh, he heard Anton Lindell's name, but then he said on a later podcast, very briefly, and I don't think the Panthers are going to do that. So I don't think Lundell's touchable. Knight is. Lundell's touchable, but you have to be getting back a better piece that helps you in the moment. Oh, I basically said, like, so, the best trade deadline yeah. acquisition is Jake Gensel. Like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't include Lundell in a trade for Jake Gensel. Does, does any NHL, like, I, I seriously asked this question online the other day when this kind of came up, was like, how many NHL GMs trade a defensive third line center when they're trying to win, a, when they're competing? Like, that's usually what you go out and get. So, I, you know, if they would do it, they would, like, you know, is, like, Michael Backlund coming back? You, you know, I'd I don't know. I'd take Lundell over Backlund. I would, too, and so would the Panthers. But, you know, like, you'd have to at least, you know, be getting Hannafin and Backlund and, some, you know, and, you know, not have to give up too much or something to get that to because the value of losing Lindell is so high to counteract that and make it a positive to move him. You, you, I mean, you'd have to get like, are we getting back Miro Heiskanen? Like what is happening? Like, you know, how does that work out? It's not, yeah. Like to me, he's pretty untouchable. Uh, but especially in the middle of a season when you're going for and everything, I mean, how like Seth Jarvis did not look as good in the, the, to me, looked good in the playoffs. Anton Lundell looked better because what he was doing was harder. Mm-hmm. And I obviously have some concerns about his offense, but he's played a lot better offensively lately. And I think a lot of that is line mates as opposed to anything else because the <laughs> yeah. instant you put him with a line mate that isn't, you know, Nick Cousins or Ryan Lomberg, sends out their offense isn't actually that bad. So that's really where I want to get back into the discussion of the wingers that I wrote about. And then there are other options as well yeah. out there. I, I think the Gensel thing is very interesting because it seems like the Penguins are going to do it at this point, And they probably should. They're not a very good team. I am back and forth on Gensel and whether I would do it or not. But that's why I'm not a general manager and never will be. Because I know that thinking of what happened two years ago when the Panthers went all in and they weren't ready to necessarily go all in, even though I didn't blame them for doing it because like theoretically it was the right move. Even if in practice it didn't really work. And last year they did nothing and made the Stanley cup final correlation does not equal causation. And yeah, I made and, sure and, to mention that. And I think you have to say that the, the idea like going for it is differently than who you actually go for. You know, go like Giroux, go like that is going for it. It didn't work out, but Claude Giroux made a great pass to Verhage to win our first playoff series in how long? Twenty six years. So, so I mean, like it didn't work out, but it wasn't. I I I would redo the Claude Giroux thing a hundred times out of a hundred, especially because he only wanted to go to one place. Yeah, but and you know, tip it. I mean, you gave up value, but you had to give up value to get value. You can't. You can't. Bill Zito could not hose down the Flyers organization as much as he wanted to because the Flyers could have just not traded Giroux because Giroux said he was fine staying there till the end of the year too. So you you you, you didn't have the leverage. It was the Sherratt. And everybody before it happened was saying you shouldn't trade a first for Sherratt. And then the fact that Sherratt wasn't even used in the top five was this, like the – so some games, the sixth most played defenseman on the team out of six. 
other nights fifth. Very, very rarely was in the top four of minutes. That the coach that was coaching the team, Brunette, that they chose to coach that team down the playoff run, didn't even want to use the player. So going for it wasn't wrong. It was that they went with Sherratt instead of Kulak or some or anybody else. Um, and I think you're totally right that I wouldn't be put off by what I wouldn't be, you know, experiencing, you know, PTSD coach, basically. Yeah. And being scared and being gun shy because of it, because you know what the lesson is. If they have identified Gensel as the best target for what they want to do here, and they could easily be saying that, and we don't know. I know they've done an interview, Bill Zito did an interview with uh, uh, Ryan Rashog and Pierre Lebron where he was very coy about it because, of course, you're going to be coy when you're doing an interview publicly. You're going to hear about it, and these GMs are calculated in the way that they say what they say publicly, especially around this time of year. And Bill Zito being like, oh, I'm not a big fan of the trade deadline because of you lot, basically, the media. Uh, he's saying that for obvious reasons. Now, if it was me, I'd go back and forth on Gensel because, look, if you're getting Jake Gensel, you have the best top nine in hockey. There, there is no other top nine that can compete with with the Panthers at that point. It, it, it would be dominant. Like, there is no weak link in that top nine if they were to acquire him. The thing that I have concerns about, and the concerns come from this, Jake Gensel would definitely play with Barkoff most of the time. I had been thinking middle six, you're going to probably play with Lundell and Los Duranen most of the time, but you could also play with uh, Kachuk and Bennett. The one thing that I would be a little concerned about, and it's a minor concern, but it is a concern, is if you're trading for Jake Gensel and you're giving up Spencer Knight, whatever it is you're giving up because you don't have the picks, they will have the cap space, but they won't have the picks necessarily, which does make a Gensel trade theoretically more likely to Florida because you don't have to do the retaining of salary to, you know, give up more than you would have to give up otherwise, like Edmonton or Vegas might have to. The thing would be is, and I don't think this is a major concern, but he wouldn't probably play first power play. He'd upgrade the second power play. But the first power play when everyone's healthy, he's probably not playing that. So I do think that is a concern, but not a big one. But who, that's Jake's concern, not yours. I don't, and I don't think Jake's playing on Edmonton's power play. I think he'd be on their first power play. But who's he taking off? Well, I'm trying to think about Edmonton's first power play. I haven't thought about it that so, much because they're they're the like the best. The last two years, they're like the best power play. So you, you Bouchard, McDavid, Drysidel, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins. I think you could take Nugent Hopkins off that for Gensel. Who would you take off of Florida's Nugent first Hopkins power play? Nugent Hopkins is probably is their Reinhardt on the power play. I, I I I either way, I think that it could happen. I don't think it's the likeliest option. That's just I, my reading to, of the situation. To me, to me, most players who get traded in the season on true contenders know that they're power play two because of chemistry and everything. It's going to take a while. They have to develop. They have to get into the team's routine and everything. What you know? Why hit kill their motive? Why kill them with you know a stumbling power play and the frustrations of a power play not working? Well, again, we saw that with Florida at times, didn't we? Yeah, and so, I mean, ultimately, I don't – it's such a low concern. It's a bigger concern is what happens if 
Carolina gets Gensel? What happens if Boston gets Gensel? I'm not afraid of Boston getting Gensel. I'm not. I, I mean... Because they don't have centers to get it to them. You know, like, I'd also... The one thing I don't like is... And Bill Zito talked about this. It's the idea that I have to go get somebody so that some other team doesn't get them. And, like, the Panthers, well, to me, are good enough to beat anybody no matter who they add. Because they're going to add somebody. I don't think they're going to be scared of anybody. Not the way they're playing right now. And not the fact that they have the one thing that everybody else doesn't really have, which is center depth. That was said to me last year when the Vegas Knights got Ivan Barbershev. I understand that, but the Panthers, when they got to the final, everybody was hurt. So... I and if they had they Ivan Barbershev, they would have been less hurt. They would have been less hurt. I still think they would have lost, but they would have been less hurt. Right. But I mean, like, that's the, like, I don't, like, I, I see that. I understand it. But I mean, last time that Gensel was in the playoffs, he had eight goals in seven games. Didn't wasn't that the six game series, the Islander, whatever it was. It was I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at it on a leap. Oh, yeah, elite prospects. The six games against the Islanders, he was not great in, but, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, no, he had that. Okay, I'm getting mixed up with the Rangers series, but forgive me. He's had three. He had that hat trick against the Flyers that one year. Yeah, I mean, he's he's more consistent in the playoffs than Riley Smith. Uh, I mean, it was an well, argument. I did not some, put in yeah. my uh, sentimental favorites section of that article. I wrote it. That was your inspiration. Yeah, because he's good every other year, and he was good last year, and he's been bad so far this year, so why get him? I want to talk about all of those players in a second, but I do want to go over other players besides Jake Gensel because I know that that's going to be the number one target. But I, 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 I think that he's he's a guy that it's it the the fear of other teams getting him, you're right, is not something to make you go out and do it, but it is a part of it because for some players— but with Gensel, the biggest thing is, out of everybody on the market, I think he's the actual best fit because I think he play he can play with either Kachuk or Barkov, and that allows you to move Kuch- uh, Gensel and Verhage up and down as you see fit five on five, and it allows you to get Rodriguez to the third line where he is better. He's yes. better on the third line. He can do more things. He misses the net less. I mean, like, he's he's good anywhere you put him. We talked he's about this theory best. between us before, but here's the Evan Rodriguez theorem that I think after nearly 60 games we can say. He raises the floor for every single line he's on. I think that's abundantly clear. It's a lot easier to see it when he's playing on a line with Lundell and Osterain and he's replacing Nick Cousins because the floor instantly goes way up. You don't see it as much when he's playing on Barkoff and Reinhardt's line because the floor for any line with Alexander Barkoff is already insanely high because it's Sasha Barkoff. He played with Seth Griffith and insert whoever else here that he's played with in the past. It doesn't matter who he's playing with. The line is really good. I'm pretty sure when Yager ties or breaks some record, he's on a line with Seth Griffith and Barkov. And the fact that Seth Griffith is on the ice for that moment makes me want to hurl. But, you know... <laughs> I still have the shirt when Yager became the third highest scorer in NHL history. This was 2017, of course, uh, in a drawer somewhere. Uh, great great moments, and I'm so happy that Yager, uh, even though he played on some of the teams I hate the most, he also played on two of the teams I love the most. Oh, that retirement uh, ceremony and, was absolutely spectacular. And you know what's great? And I didn't think about this until, you know, the retirement ceremony and they were asking different players. 
He's played with Matt Kachuk too. Yes, he did. I forgot so, about that. So you can say that the Yager ethos, you know, of of working hard before and after, first one to enter, last one to leave, you know, taking care of yourself. Running and, up and down stairs with plates yeah, on your ankles, yeah, things being, like that. Yeah, being innovative to find new ways to keep getting better even as you age, even as you're already one of the best. Um, I think having both of the captains, so to speak, with Kachuk and Barkov playing on a line and being with Yager for at least, you know, part of a year is is something that is going to benefit the team for sure. It's almost like you should retire Yager's number in Florida, even though he was there for like five minutes, it, because yeah, the impact was, on uh, his team was, you, was pretty that, high. That was Florida Hockey Live, George Richards piece. Um, I thought it was good to stimulate uh conversation but i would not retire as no of course not i i mean obviously not i would put a i would have a i would have a night to sell you know uh, you can do it whenever you want but maybe uh, uh when he finally retires you can and he has more time he'd be more willing to come but have a have like a Yager weekend or something when you have a Friday. Like you know, you know when they when they did the Pittsburgh game when they came to Sunrise this year and they honored Hornquist because you know he won Stanley yeah. Cups with Pittsburgh, but he obviously has a pretty big impact on the Panthers, like that kind of yes, thing. Absolutely. But but anyway, back to the point because Yager Yager stuff was incredible, and I saw somebody mention on Twitter, I think it was Jeff Baylett, who's like the Red Wings should do this for Sergei Fedorov, and I'm like this this is the Thomas Krulikowski agenda right there. I, I know that's one of your hobby horses, but anyway. Um, yeah, I think we need a few more uh, pizza pizzas to die. <laughs> anyway. I think there's uh, bad blood. You yeah, know, there's Red not, Wings this coming not, weekend on network television. By not, the way, do you want to know a crazy fact about that game this weekend that will be on ABC? I think I've mentioned it on this show before, but this is the first time the Florida Panthers have played on network television in the United States of America in almost 26 years. The last time they played a network television game, and I looked this up and I'll tweet about it on Saturday when it happens, was in, funny enough, it was against the Penguins and Yager and Lemieux uh, on April 11th, 1998 on Fox. That was the last time they played a network TV game. Last year, because TNT had the Stanley Cup final, they never had a chance to. And this year, it's one of three network TV games because the Panthers are good now and are getting respect from television partners. But yeah, first time in 26 years they're playing Thank a network you. TV game. Thank you, Sasha Barkov. Thank you, Joe Huberto. Thank you, Aaron Ekblad, for staying with the team and getting us there. Yes, yes, it took a recommitment from ownership to go there. And yes, Zito and, and you know, the coaching and Maurice. And, and there's a lot of Hornquist. There's a lot of people who you have to thank. But besides this, this, the, the people who kept putting money in as fans and the three major players who, when it started to go bad, could have used their RFA leverage a little more like we've seen recently to get out of spots, and they didn't. They hung in, they believed, and they're still here playing. And Huberto would be here if it was up to him. Uh, he certainly would be, although he's playing a lot better right now, and he I'm is. happy for him. I think he's 22 in the last 21, or 21 in the last 22 or something No, like. I'm really happy for him. I, there is, I, I root for a lot of players, even if they're not in Florida anymore. And, you know, Jeff Barrick always says I don't root for players. Our teams, I root for stories. Uh, I root for Jonathan Huberto because I want him to succeed. He is a good human being who got, you know, look, he gets to watch his team, his old team, the team he wants to be on, go to the Stanley Cup final the year after he leaves when the Flames fall apart. Like, 
he deserves better. He does. Yes, he does. But I wish he didn't sign that contract and he would already be at better. I, I understand that. So can I go over some other players that we mentioned in that piece and some others that I wanted to think about uh, as we go forward to the trade deadline less than two weeks away? Because there were some things that when I started doing the research and writing it up that I didn't think about before I started writing it and then started to think about in a different way, different frame of, of reference. Um, one of the players I wrote about was Tarasenko uh, because, I mean, he's an RF, un unrestricted free agent. Senators clearly aren't going to keep him. They're bad. And I looked into it, and I think he, if you look theoretically, he fits pretty well in what they're trying to do. But what's worrying is, like, his individual, like, defensive impacts. And some of it's Sens-related. Some of it is him-related. They're really not good. Now, he could play, you know, with, you know, Lundell and Losterainen and his defensive issues would be covered because you're playing with those two. I think, you know, he would be a second power play player and he'd make the second power play better. I know you weren't at some point the biggest fan of that idea. I don't think it would be any, obviously, would be anywhere near as expensive as Gensel to do it. Yeah. And I think he is going to get traded. He would not have to be anywhere near the focus in Florida obviously comfortable environment for him number of russian speakers he'd be more than fitting in i just i think we've seen what he is capable of now and while i think he could chip in with a big goal or two i've come to decide that i think there are better options even among players who are a little bit older because like you look under the hood and you don't go that that's concerning and like there's a level of like the panthers can cover it up but we've also seen this year that Lundell and Losterain, and they can only cover up so much. You know, and I'm not saying, like, Vlad Tarasenko is worse than Nick Cousins. He's not. But, like, how much can you cover up by just putting someone on a line for long enough? Because even Bennett and Kachuk couldn't cover up Nick Cousins after a point. And there's some of that I worry about with Tarasenko. Right. And my, my question is with Tarasenko is, and this would be, you know, an answer I'm never going to get, would be, you know, where is he going to ultimately, where do you want him to play? And how do you think he's going to have success there? Uh, to me, he's one of the best in kind of the middle bucket of these are guys who can make big game impacts, but they're probably not going to do it that often, but they, they have a chance. And obviously it's an improvement on cousins in the top nine not gonna be. I'd rather do it than not do it. If you're saying Tarasenko or no or no player at the deadline, I'm taking Tarasenko probably every time. And you know, as long as Maurice is like and and Zeta are on the same page, where if he's you know a net negative, to just sit him and just eat the cost. They don't have to play him. Um, that's fine with me. I, I would love to hear those discussions because yeah. we know they talk oh. frequently, but I would love yeah. to hear what Paul Maurice, because he's hinted at the fact that in some of the recent home games, at least, because he liked the Carolina game, that he wasn't happy with the way the team was forechecking. And I'd love to know exactly what that is. I wonder what he's talking about with Bill Zito, because obviously they're going to talk about the trade deadline and the players that he wants. Like, I wonder what it is, the thing that he says, I want this. And I don't, Exa like he's very honest obviously with the media and that's something we appreciate but i don't know i can't exactly quantify what that thing is i maybe maybe the panthers you know sonny meta and everybody who's working there have 
already done that. Then their pro scouts have figured that out. But I'd love to know because it is an interesting question. Now, another forward that I wrote about that I found really interesting, I don't know if they're going to trade him, but I I would be interested if they did, is uh, Jordan Eberle. And when I looked into some of the numbers, you know, you, I in the piece I write about expected goals, you know, relative expected goals, you know, when you're off the ice, on the ice, you know, your, your impacts defensively, where are you in that regard? And uh, Dom LeCision wrote about something like this at The Athletic, and he included um, Corey's, um, you know, his data, which obviously is invaluable here. Uh, he's still driving play pretty well for someone who's 33 years old, and I wasn't really thinking about that because what had been our discourse for the last, like, three months, it's the Panthers need a finisher. They need somebody who could just get on the end of a chance and put the puck in the net. And that's been, I think, now adopted by most people following the Panthers as the thing they need. But we were talking earlier about Lundell and Losterane and their offense and the fact that obviously they could use a little more. When I wrote the piece, like something like 118 out of 167 or something was the number of goals scored by the top six, which I included Rodriguez in. Let me go look at the piece because I forgot. Because obviously it's changed since they've played games since then. Uh, but it's a huge amount, right? And that is very interesting to me when it comes to just how top six heavy they've been. And obviously Reinhardt's cooled off of late. So what do you think now about getting somebody who can play in the middle six as more of a play driving kind of player? Because that's not really what Rodriguez is. Rodriguez is a floor raiser on the line, but he doesn't drive play. Tommy, but what if we get a guy like Jordan Eberle to help drive play that can give a little more offense to Lundell and Losterainen? Because those two have offense that they're clearly leaving on the table, not just because they're playing more of a defensive style and asked to play a defensive role, but also because they're playing with line mates who can't keep up with them. Do you think a play-driving winger would work there? Because I've come around to that idea. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that's one of the types that would work with Lundell, Lostrain, and um, one of the better things about their games is that, you know, they may not be as offensively assertive and productive on their own without kind of the enticement um, that you want, but any other style, it seems that they can kind of play and play with relative ease and it seems that they kind of take on more of the characteristics of their line mates rather than kind of stamping out their, their, I mean, outside of their defense, you know, their commitment to playing within the structure. Like they do not, they're very stubborn players. They, they do not really play outside of, you know, this is the system that we've been asked to play this defensive first. Yeah. They don't color this outside the lines doing. all that much, but then, you know, outside of that, we'll take on the, the identity and traits of our line mate and, and play to them. So I think that, you know, Eberly would work. I, I like Eberly, you know, personally. His numbers are a lot better than you would guess. The the only thing with that is I have... I'm Do you two- worry then in that situation that you're then kind of hardening your lines a little bit? No, no. I'm worried that we're not addressing... I'm worried that... I'm, I'm worried that you're you're you'd only be addressing the issue that's sort of kind of the secondary issue 
The, the first issue, I think, is that you're missing a top six four. So you're either getting a winger for Barkov or Kachuk. And I don't think that they necessarily need play drivers. They need something else. So by getting a play driver, you guess I guess in the sense you're hardening your lines because you're hardening Evan Rodriguez into the top six, which I would not want to do with that. I want him to be jumping into a top six when you're trying for a fresh yes when you're trying for a fresh look or there's an injury or something but my ideal thing is like with how flexible Lundell and Walshanen are um, with the idea that eventually Samuskevich or somebody you're bringing in this summer if it's not going to be Samuskevich or Sordiff is going to be the answer on that line I'm not necessarily trying to find them a winger but you know we've Last year we were stuck with, you know, Cousins on that Bennett and Kachuk line, and it worked until it didn't work in the Cup final, and then it really hurt us. Uh, you well, know, then but, you uh, saw how little time it took for the Cousins Bennett Kachuk thing to just not work. Well, I mean, this year, y- yeah. Well, I think because it wasn't, it was a lightning in the bottle thing, Cousins. Cousins' death of him in the top six role is always going to be his finishing ability. And uh, he was see, in... See Saturday night. And he... Excuse me. He kept the... In the playoffs, that Toronto series, he scored two big goals. He scored and, the first and last goal of the series. And, and from those two big goals, he was able to stay in that lineup throughout the playoffs. And that's fine. And, you know, I mean, at the time we were like, this, it would be great to change this and everything. But you understand why it doesn't happen. Now, it's like, do you, you know you kind of need Rodriguez on the third line and Cousins out of the top six. Verhage seems to work on either line. So it's kind of just where does Maurice and Zito see where they can do it? Or, you know... Is or do they decide like, it's based on what the market dictates? You know, we'll look at wingers who can work with Kachuk or Barkov, and depending on which one we end up getting, then we'll stick them and Verhage will go the other way. Because I, 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 I think that Verhage is, I don't think he's better necessarily on Barkov and Reinhardt's line. Yes, he is. But yes, he is. I, mean, I, I can't, like, I'm so convinced of it, I don't even have to talk about i'm just like i it is i and and look there are times this season when i i've seen when they moved them around and they got to the setup they got to recently like i definitely saw that uh when verhage's just he's just looked better on that line and i do agree with you the way that verhage the way that verhage scores and the way that he looks for space to step into when it he does shoots, fit better on a line it fits with better on Markov that and Reinhardt than Bennett and Kachuk, who are, yeah, because th- that I point I definitely agree with because it's the spacing and the intelligence on Barkov's line, and then with Kachuk it's a little more with Bennett. I don't want to say it's more brute force because it's not because Matthew Kachuk is also extremely intelligent when it comes to where he's putting his passes, but it's a different kind of intelligence. The natural rhythm of Barkov and Reinhardt playing hockey together gives, allows for space for Verhage to more naturally operate. When Verhage is with Bennett and Kachuk, it 
a lot of his opportunities are more clean up in front of the net opportunities versus be, you know being able to kind of disappear find it soft open ice behind coverage and have time and space to just kind of use his i like to call it a baseball swing you know his griffy swing and just rip off a, a shot like just like he did uh to tie the game that barkoff tipped you know that was his but those spaces up high in the zone I think are more opened up by Reinhardt and Barkov's movements. And then they're, they more often hit those spots with their passes and look for them than Kachuk and Bennett, who are more step to the net and more down ice players. Um, and it's fine. Like, I think we can win a cup with Verhage on the second line. And if that's what Maurice and Zito think is the best, I'm a hundred percent behind it. But me personally, I would put Verhage, Barkov, Reinhardt. To me, that's the ultimate first line in the NHL right now, and I wouldn't touch it. I definitely see that as a better line than Verhage with uh, Bennett and Kachuk, and certainly better than Rodriguez on that line. And I just the point with Evan Rodriguez is they got him because we were talking earlier about how Gensel is like designed in a lab to play with certain kinds of centers. Like, he is an upgrade on Evan Rodriguez. He is the same principle as why they signed Evan Rodriguez, just upgraded. And that's why you would go for Gensel. But he could also shoot the puck. puck. And he's this been is the a difference. Scorer. He's been a scorer since he played at Providence. Uh, and he's been a winner for a while. I, I just think he's he, he checks every box. Like, whether you're an advanced stats guy or, you know, person, or whether you... Um, an old school person or whether you just want a playoff performer or whether you want somebody with vibes or, you know, somebody with fit. But I mean, he's a left-handed shooter that who can play both sides of the ice. Uh, and I think he could play with both the first or the second line. Um, yeah. Equally agree, agree with that agree. again. And, and if they did add him, they have the best top nine in hockey. So, I mean, we've kind of talked, I've, definitely killed the Gensel point but if if we were looking at just a line mate for Bennett and Kachuk from your list who do you think fits that the best so when I look at the players that I mentioned I you have to go look at the trade boards because I you couldn't write all of them because you just there's not enough time but because <laughs> there are a lot of options and a lot of different ways you could go but the yeah. underrated option that I didn't really think about until I started thinking about it more was was actually Anthony Mantha. Like, he's actually doing a little bit more than you would think. I mean, his contract's not very good, but he's... When you watched him play in the game on Saturday, I know he got into a fight with Nick Cousins, and that should be a reason to get you on the Panthers alone. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Joking. But I think that he's actually... It's not just the play driving. He's finishing a little bit better than you would expect this year. Like, it's taken him a really long time to kind of find his game in Washington. It hasn't worked. But, like, that wouldn't be a terrible option, do you think? Like, I've, I've come around to that a little bit more. His numbers are pretty good. I think that, you know, the line he played on with Washington was with Dylan Strom and Tom Wilson. Like, you could easily see Mantha and a little bit more of that, you know, directness. Yeah. Making the, that happen. So, the first, the first, I, I wonder we, if this would be also an option as well. 
I definitely think it's an option. Uh, I think the first point you brought up about the contract is obviously less a concern because the Panthers, as you've already mentioned, are in a really good spot this year with cap space, um, which kudos to them. Uh, I was, I knew that they'd have this money and space and I was itchy to spend it like September 1st. So good on them saving it up and letting it invest and grow to an even bigger number uh, that they can maybe Last get year, somebody like they Mantha. did a very terrible job of managing their cap. They they decided short term pain for a year. I understand that, but it was still yeah. not good cap management. This year, it's been elite cap management. I will say. Yeah, I think that. It, yeah, I would say it was under expected last year, and this year's over expected. They're gonna have the most cap space of any of the major yeah. contenders. It's gonna be. So, like, that gives, like, with Mantha's contract ending this year, it's just about cap space this year. It gives the Panthers a leg up because there's no retention needed, no third team needed. It's just a lot easier deal to pull off. So, maybe that's something they can do if things fall Mantha through. is $5.7 yeah. A projection that I saw from, from Pierre Lebrun says that the Panthers, if they keep going the way they are, and I don't see there's any reason for them not to, by March 8th will have about $5 million in cap space. So... If you have to say like a body, like an NHL body, and then somebody you're at else, six to, million. you're basically at that. So you wouldn't have to retain it with yeah. Gensel. It's the same thing. So you don't have the, to pay as much because there's no retention. Yeah. Cause the two bodies, I mean, I don't think that they would, I don't think they would move Lockwood cause he wouldn't be enough to really clear money. It'd be like a Lawrence or a cousins. Cause it's a million one million two. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I guess we'll, I think Lockwood's like eight hundred or something thousand. I can so, check right um, now because um, I am currently on cap friendly. So give me one second. As we currently sit, they have four point five million of deadline day cap space. Really well done. Yeah, and they're accruing Cousins one point one, Lawrence is one point oh five, uh, Lockwood is seven seventy five. So league men, yeah. that wouldn't that wouldn't work. Yeah. So I mean, like you're almost at like a half million difference between, or you're at like almost four hundred thousand difference. And also, uh, I don't think Mantha will cost. I mean. I think he'll cost roughly yeah. similar-ish to Tarasenko. I think there will be more interest in Mantha than Tarasenko, but that's another one that I've come around Would you, to. Here's one that I've come around to the more that the Coyotes get out of the playoff race. Lawson Kraus. Okay, so we have the our... the Kachuk line. We have Just, our... Oh, that know, would be very, very the funny. the line. We have our... I don't think they're going to trade him, but we have our sentimental favorite section because it's all a bunch of former Panthers. Um, I did not include Riley Smith, and I forgot about how Riley Smith was not very nice to the Panthers fans on the way out, but then time heals all wounds, and who the heck cares at this point? The Panthers fan ace is different than it was seven years ago. Um, I wanted to go over some of them because you mentioned it, you mentioned a specific player, and at that point, the Coyotes were still kind of in it, and now they're definitely not in it. Um, I, I go over, let's go over all of them. Like, Riley Smith, as you said, one year on, one year off. The real issue is another year at $5 million. I don't think the Panthers should be going after players with an extra year on their contract, because every dollar is going to be so important to not only keep, you know, Reinhardt, Forsling, Montour, etc., but also for next year to upgrade in certain spots where they're going to need to upgrade because, look, if you want to keep your window open as long as humanly possible, and I know they want to do that, you have to upgrade in certain areas 
and they will need to upgrade necessarily defensively next year because Oliver ekman Larson is going to be too expensive for them to keep, etc., etc., etc. So, and you're going to want to upgrade some guys lower down the lineup. You're not going to, like, you're going to want to, no offense to Ryan Lomberg, who we love his energy, you're going to want Ryan Lomberg to not play every night. You're going to want a little bit different in terms of that, you know, that bottom six group. And eventually, you need to keep your powder dry for when Verhage and Bennett, etc. are also going to need a raise. So, that's my other point about extra year of contract i'm more like trying to keep lomberg at a decent clip and not minding him playing every day if he can i think he's still young enough to give you some value for another year or so because to me everything's going to raises everything's going to raises and if it's and if it's somebody with a year left on it it can't be riley smith it has to be someone like with a name yes a name like yes I mean, Patrick Line or better. Like, Pretty like, much. Especially for a forward. If it's a defenseman, it's a different story. Because um, like you said, there's more of a need. But your need, your, need, your need for your forward is right now is this year. You should only be trying to fix it for this year. You have all summer to figure out next year. You have the kids that are still growing up who might be able to solve it. And everything like, and your defensive system has allowed you to identify players who you can get on the cheap and make better and cycle through them if you have to. Yeah, this year it's like okay, Lawrence doesn't have as much flavor as you were hoping, and Cousins isn't doing it. We 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 hundred percent need a timely upgrade just for this year in the top six. So let's we'll go over some out. other forwards that are Panthers adjacent because there are a lot of them. Um, the one that I think everybody thought about first before they thought about Riley Smith was Frank Vetrano. And as I looked into it, look, he's scoring a ton of goals this year. I feel really good for him. He also has one year left at 3.7. The Frank, like Frank Vetrano is Frank Vetrano. What do you remember Frank Vetrano being in Florida? He was a guy who could finish when he had the opportunity to second power play. You know, he's good at that, but there's not a lot else going on there. New York is more likely to make the play to bring him back versus Florida, or Boston is more likely to make a play to bring him back than a Florida. I agree I think you. I would be fine with him back. I just he's having the type of year that this is not sustainable. Puts puts it well, whether or not it's sustainable or not, I think it puts him out of the. It's he's he's like a Tarasenko answer at more of the more than probably twice or three times the price of Tarasenko. So that point, you get the guy with the Stanley Cup ring. Yeah, you get the guy with the ring, but also a lot of the goal scoring that Tarasenko is doing is first power play, and you know he's not going to play first power play. And you also are doing the same thing that you would be doing with Tarasenko, which is covering for the fact that he's not the best five-on-five player. How much of that is the Anaheim Ducks? How much of that is him? Hard to say. For me, with Tarasenko, I would say... Okay, I'm prob I'm probably gonna play him with on the third line where I just need him to pounce on pucks and and put pucks on net. Okay, or I'm playing him with Kachuk line where again he's basically only probably going to be asked to like pounce on pucks, pucks pounce on pucks and and put him away. He's uh, so I I think it could work. It's just about you know do you think he's going to be an excited 
you know, interested party. I, I don't want it for the one reason of he's got one more year left and $3.7 million. I just don't think the Panthers can swallow that at this point. I really don't. I, I don't yeah. think they should be going after players, as you said, with a year on their contracts because a lot of this salary cap space, $28 million plus if they trade Spencer Knight, is, is going to go to raises. It's going to Reinhardt. Yeah, it's going I mean, to Forsling. It's going to Montour. It's going to also keep powder dry for Verhage, etc. Unless Zito's like, fuck it, I'll trade him. Like, I don't care. I'll trade him in the summer. Like, I'm already going to trade him. But, I don't think yeah. Toronto's value will ever be higher than it is right now, and it will only yeah. go down from there. And that's I why agree. I don't think it's unless, going to happen. Unless you win the cup. Unless you win the cup. Uh, but you have to be really sure. You have to have a lot. A lot of gumption. And Bill yes. Zito has gumption, but I don't know about that much. So let's go now to um to Anthony Duclair because George Richards, Florida Hockey Now, our friend, did write about Duclair being available. Here's the thing with Anthony Duclair. And it comes down to the same argument we had about, uh, not argument, but the same point we were trying to make about Jordan Everly. Like, again, you know exactly what you're getting with Anthony Duclair. There's no surprises there. The problem that we have when we're evaluating something like Frank Petrano or Anthony Duclair, at least with Riley Smith, there's some distance between his time in Florida and now. So there is a somewhat of an unknown quantity there. There is upside with Anthony Duclair. You know exactly what you're getting. There are no surprises here. His numbers have really struggled because it's the sharks, but also like we saw what he was last year in the playoffs. He had some big moments, but he's still recovering from the Achilles injury. It takes a long time for that to happen. And while he would be an upgrade on Nick Cousins on the third line, you wouldn't have any problem putting him back with Barkoff or whatever. I don't think it's the kind of player... Like, if you're going to get the play-driving winger, go get Jordan Everly, basically, is, is my line of thinking. Because you know he's got the chemistry. You know he can play in these positions. And he obviously would want to come back. I think there's no doubt about the fact that he'd want to come back. But... I just think that there's too much of a known quantity there and knowing that the upgrade you're getting is not the level of upgrade that I think they could get somewhere else, even from a Tarasenko, because you've got better finishing with Tarasenko. And this is no offense to Anthony Duclair, who we love. I was heartbroken to see the Panthers trade him. He clearly loved being a Florida Panther, and the Panthers clearly loved having him. Bill Zito came to his uh, opening of his the, the synthetic ice rink he was opening up in Broward County, and that was awesome. But... I, I just don't think this is the right time for something like that. Maybe in the offseason, if he's willing to take less, you could get him to come back. But I just don't think this is the time for that, if it makes sense. I think it's more of a time for him to come back now than in the offseason because I, it's, I was fine with keeping him through this contract. And so, you know, like, I, if we brought him back, I'd be fine with it. I think, you know, trading him... I would have, you know, they didn't really use the cap space yet. They're now looking at it to use to maybe bring him back. Uh, you know, so for me, I just would have kept him. I didn't need Lorenz and the pick. Um, but I agree with some of your points. I think it's hard to go back to him because. I mean, for me, Riley Smith is harder because he just beat us in the cup. And then, you know, if we win a cup with him, people would be like, see, they shouldn't have given him up in the expansion draft. There's they water under that bridge cup. there. Yes. But, but, like, yeah, but it would just, I, I don't want him, I don't want Riley Smith ever again. Like, to me, he's dead. 
and it has nothing to do with what he said. It's just that's a different era, and it's I, time to move on from that. Yeah, but with with Duclair, it's I think you know He'd you be could bring him back as a Florida Panther than a Shark. But There's no doubt about that in my mind. I don't know. It would be easy to go back, but I just don't understand going back when is he the right fit? If he, if it was the if all of a sudden he was like, oh yeah, they they're looking for speed. That's what they need. Uh, I would be saying, yeah, let's bring Duclair back. I'm fine with it bringing him back, but we need we need a finisher, and he's adjacent to a finisher. Yeah, he's very much adjacent to a finisher. There was another there was another player that you had me uh, mention uh, in this piece. It didn't seem all that likely he was going to get traded, and now it definitely seems like he's going to get traded. So once again, why hockey never wrong just early. One of our trademarks, including one of our favorite bits, which I will talk about later. Um, Nick Bukestad, this was 100%. this was this was not the. Now you also mentioned Lawson Kraus, who I don't think the Coyotes are going to trade. But Nick Bukestad, he played well last year um, when he was with the Oilers. He also has the one year remaining on a contract, which makes it trickier, and that makes it less likely for me. I, I just I don't want to get somebody who you have to then pay for another year again when you need that cap for raises. He's scoring above expected. He's finishing decently. The problem is the Coyotes are really bad, so his numbers aren't very good. Again, I think you could hide that in Florida. He definitely adds a, I would say, I don't. he's not the most physical player, but he adds some size, which would give you a different look. But again, as we're talking about, can he play up and down the lineup? Like, he's not a top six winger. Like, you'd be getting him to play with, you know, Lundell and Losterain. And he offers more offense than anybody else who's played there pretty much. In- in my estimation, he's what they thought Lorenz was supposed to be or going to be. So that's where, you know, and and one of the things to me that they, if Florida can't get that top six player, I think that they should still try to upgrade their depth because in my estimation, I would want somebody to replace one of Lawrence or, or Cousins in the pecking order. Um, Nick Cousins, when they add this top nine forward, uh, to to my estimation, he's a healthy scratch at this point because they're getting. Cause I agree. You, I mean, you you're never going to stretch Stenlin if because he's been really good for what they've asked him to do. They really obviously like Lomberg, and that is the ideal plato- the platonic ideal of what you want a modern bottom you know fourth line forward to be. And then you rotate in whoever the other guy is based on whether they're hot, whether it's Lockwood, whether it's Gadjevich, whether it's Cousins, who cares? But that's a rotatable spot that it doesn't really matter who's in. I mean, to me, the fourth line's Lomberg, Stenlin, Gadjevich until proven otherwise. They, I don't like, disagree with you. If you if you now if you're putting Cousins back into the mix because he's relieved of top nine duties, then yeah, I'll, I'm fine with rotating him and seeing how it is, but. It's like it's possible that that fourth line passes that test, and I'm, too, you know, after a week or two of it, I'm saying let's just keep the fourth line the fourth line. Um, but I would definitely want Lawrence to get bounced to like you know 15th forward, or you know move to free up a roster spot and some more money. Nothing against him, I just think he's so bland. Like he'd be a great fourth liner for the Panthers, like two to three years ago but now um he just 
like the things that Lomberg and Gadjevich do is bring life. They Lockwood mix it does up. it too. Lockwood does it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you brought up Sordif, he'd be, you know, he'd be doing something. We saw Sam Muscovich lately, and he was more aggressive and tried to make more of an influence in a game uh, in in one game than Denisenko did in all of his time here. Uh, I wanted to mention so Sam I think Kavich, that they got... I didn't write about him, and obviously I don't think it's something they're going to do now. It's not going to work. Here's what you said, and I wrote about it yeah. here uh, in the piece, and it's one of the – and you say a lot of really smart things. You don't give yourself enough credit for saying some of the things you say. And the best way to describe Sam Miscavige is you, you said it perfectly, no notes. He's the Panthers' 10th top nine forward. Like yes. that's the exact best way to describe him. Like he is not ready – to play top nine minutes in the NHL, but the Panthers are doing the right thing and not playing him on the fourth line. That is 100% the right move. They tried to see him when they had the ability to with Lundell and Losteranen, and there was some good stuff happening there. They tried playing him with Barkov, and we saw some good things. He's not quite ready yet, so you don't want to scratch him. Playing him on the fourth line does nothing to help him grow as a player. So you'd rather him just play all the minutes he possibly can in Charlotte and get confidence because he should be on the team next year. And I don't think that they would be against playing him in a pinch, but it's just not something that he's ready for right now. And that's okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's going to be on the team next year or likely injured or traded. So um, that's kind of where he's at. Uh, but like the way they've managed him this year, I think has been the exact right way that they should have managed. And him. it's, and it's, well, I think that they, he's on pace for 62 AHL games and seven, and he's at seven AHL games right now. He, let's just say he gets three more to make it 10. That'd be 72 games out of the hundred Maurice said was the ideal goal. Uh, we readjusted it, I think, to like 80, 85 is what we were hoping for. And this also um, could include if Charlotte makes the playoffs in the AHL. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think that they definitely should. I think there was an opportunity to play him one or two more games, and there's probably an opportunity to play him one or two more games before the season's over. I think there's going to not... be a time when they're going to do some um, load management, and they'll play Samus yeah. Gavich in those games, but those are going to be meaningless that's games. That's what I'm looking for, but I think – you know, the sign of the times is the Florida Panthers are a top-tier Stanley Cup contender. And one of the realities of that is guys like Sam Oskevich, if when, once you get to a certain point in the year, you, you only become an option to fill for an injury, and you're always going to be compared to a vet option. So, like, if there's an injury... Maurice is going to get, you know, do we put – if there's an injury in the top nine, it's like do we bring in a vet to the fourth line and pull somebody up or do we plug Sam Oskevich there? How's Sam Oskevich doing? I'd prefer do that think? option than but the like, other option. That's the conversation. Like that, that's probably the best he can hope to achieve this year just because the reality is when you're going for and the cup's on the line – Maurice is always going to go with a guy who's trusted. And with the pro scouts the Florida Panthers have, the Panthers probably can find for some mid-round picks a forward to replace 
you know, anyone forward. who's injured. And this brings me to my last point that I had in the uh, the article, and it's the young forward option. The guy who's on the outs with other team that is not playing as much as they would like. Uh, and then you you get him because you know you're going to need cheap forwards in the future. The one I mentioned in the piece was, was Arthur Kaliev of the Kings, who I don't even know if he's still being scratched by the Kings. He might be. But it's clear, like, he's on the outs. Like, again, I don't know how much that's going to help you this year because it's it's definitely not the same level of any of the other veteran upgrades that are available. But if you're thinking long-term... If you're thinking about we need young forwards that we want to grow into this lineup because the vets, the big stars, are going to start to take up more of the salary cap as we go on. We need guys who are going to be cheap and effective and have something we can identify and grow with. Then Kaliev's not a terrible option. There's something there. He's not working in Los Angeles, but that doesn't mean he can't work in Florida. Like It would be a lot more along the lines of the Montour and Bennett trades than it would be of any of the other possible connections we're making to trades this year, right? Because Montour, I mean, technically was a rental, but it didn't act like a rental. And Bennett certainly wasn't a rental. These were young players who they weren't working with their previous teams, but the Panthers had identified something that they saw and said, yeah, this is going to work. And look, Montour and Bennett are Montour and Bennett now. Like, they're integral parts of this team. I'm not saying Kaliev couldn't be that, or obviously there's trade rumors around Morgan Frost too. You know, you would know obviously like he ends up in the doghouse every time Torts needs to make yeah. a example of somebody. Like, Frost is a better fit for another team just because there, I all those spots that he like what he does, it's already filled. Yeah, like, and that's why I didn't include him in the same way yeah. as Kaliev, who I think does have finishing ability. I know right. we remember the uh, the draft talk about him, right? Like, yeah. all the talk was, like, this dude finishes. Like, your finishing ability doesn't go away. Like, with Owen Tippett. Like, it never goes away. Like, that doesn't vanish. You know, even if he's having trouble, you know, with the defensive aspects of the game. Like, if he's willing to, you know, and I don't think that he's somebody who isn't willing to learn how to do the defensive aspects of the game. You know, another chance playing with a team like Florida where, like, that's expected of you. And he's got finishing ability, obviously. Like... Maybe that's an option. And it wouldn't cost that much because the Kings could use cap space and obviously he's a distressed asset. So like it's I don't think it's likely that the Kings trade Kaliev, but like look, I wouldn't mind it. It would be something that would be different. Yeah. And it what it would signal is the Panthers front office, their pro scouts, their people see something that they can work with. And if they see something that they can work with at this point, they're probably right because every bit of evidence we have suggests that they're going to be right. Now, I want to talk about a couple other things briefly before we wrap this up. The first of which is defense because the Panthers' defense right now is just, it's playing at such a good level. And the cohesiveness, as you've talked about, the willingness to support each other, the understanding, even when Ekblad was out for a game, they throw in Josh Mahura, and he, he's Josh Mahura, but, like, Paul Maurice talked about how Mahura is, is, you know, a player. They played every game last year, and he's still working yeah. hard, even though he knows he's having trouble breaking into the lineup this year because the Panthers' six defensemen are just really good right now. So I don't feel that defense is a major need. However, look, somebody has linked them to Noah Hannafin. I mean, if you're acquiring Noah Hannafin, it means one of Montour or Forsling are not coming back next year. And... Look, no Hannafin's not coming. Back. Or no Hannafin's not coming back next year, and like, 
when I look at the Panthers' defense right now, I think the resources, the cap resources, the pick resources, the prospect resources, but they should be used on a forward. Because while I don't think a defensive upgrade is ever a bad thing, because you can never have too many good defensemen, and that's been our philosophy forever, like, if you have limited resources to trade for one player, that one player should be Jake Gensel, because that fills a need and makes you a better overall team, as opposed to Noah Hannafin, who is an upgrade on their defense, but the defense is playing so well right now. And they've done such a good job of managing the players that they do have and taking the weaknesses away from the players that they do have and making them better. Like, I love Noah Hannafin. Last year, he would have been a perfect addition to the Florida Panthers. They couldn't do it. This year, like, it doesn't... It feels like the moment for Noah Hannafin in Florida has passed. You know what I mean? Because it's not an offense to Noah Hannafin, who I think is a really good defenseman. And, like, if this was a different era of Florida Panthers hockey, I would be 100% all in. But, like, this is the one moment in history where I'm just like, I don't think making that move makes a ton of sense for the Panthers when you have the forward need. And also, like, their group of defensemen that they're playing right now, they're playing at the highest level you could have asked them to play for. If he was a right-handed defenseman, I would have more time for this conversation. One, because if you're going to say that there's any need, it's for Maurice to have a veteran professional NHL everyday kind of guy who can play on the third pair and have a right-handed shot in case there's, you know, an injury to Montour and Ekblad who are the only right-handers on the roster um, or in case, you know, Kulikov's not playing that well or somebody else gets hurt and Kulikov slides over or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I The next best right-hander is either Mike Benning or Santu Kanunen in the organization. Your best NHL vet option is Casey Fitzgerald. And, and uh, we don't need to go down that road again. Yeah, and so I think, for me, you're right about the where to, where to put your resources. Put more resources towards the forward, whether it's Gensel or somebody else, uh, be, because at the end of the day, if you're looking for a defender, what you're looking for is a right-handed option for the third pair. Um, or, and when you're looking at a forward, forward, we were talking about a winger for Barkov or Kachuk, not so, you know, not third, not third line or fourth line, you know, the bottom line. Uh, equivalent upgrading the forward. third line treats that line differently, but that's still different than getting a third yeah. pair well, defenseman. I, y- yes, yeah, and but the problem is third pair, even third pair defenseman. Any right hand defenseman at the deadline gets like a plus something tax added onto it every year. You are year. correct. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, and that'll be the case probably for another five to eight years before. There's a lot more right-handers. Fi- the right-handers finally. Man, I should have I should have grown over. up to play it because I'm a right because I'm a righty, so I would have been a right-hand shot. <laughs> Are you over six foot? <laughs> five ten and a half. Five ten and a half is like you're 16 years old and a D1 college scouts you, and they're like, mm, you're too short. I I am well aware of that, but you know th- this is this is the point I make. Regardless of that, like as I said, I love Noah Hannafin as a player. I think he would be really wonderful in Florida. He does a lot of the things that this team 
always could use, even though this year their defense yeah. is at an elite level. It just doesn't make sense right now. It, it doesn't make sense for what they need. And the chemistry that the top the six defensemen are playing with right now, I mean, it's really, really remarkable how good the defense has been this year. And, like, Hannafin's awesome. He would upgrade it. But where, does that upgrade make sense in an area where the upgrade isn't as necessary as opposed to where if you got Jake Gensel, you have the best top nine in hockey. Like, that's just a fact at that point. If you yeah, – see, I can ar- see, I can argue that. I think if you get the be- if if you think Hannafin's a better player than Gensel, then and again, I'm not saying I believe either, but I'm just saying if you think that Hannafin's more of a dynamic player than Gensel, or if and and I'm against this because I think the Panthers are at the time where they have to start picking winning this year over making next year better. If you're thinking. Well, Hannafin makes us better next year than Gensel makes us next year, and the couple years after that, let's do the move. But the the argument against that is they turned Oliver Ekman Larson into what they turned Oliver Ekman Larson into this year, and I'm not saying he's on the same level as Hannafin, but it's very but clear at this point then, that the defensemen that they can find doing their normal processes on one year deals, like they can you go could say through as the many same of them about as possible. The Fords, though they made Brian Lomberg. I mean. Yes, but I think to a le- but, but even with some of the forward things that they've done, and most of their forward acquisitions have also been exquisite, but they have a I'm, I'm not going to say lesser because that's the wrong way of saying it, but they don't their hit rate isn't quite as oh my god levels of exceptional as it is on the blue line that, because their blue because line guys are that's a volume issue that they they're going to have more. Every offseason, they're going to make more of those forward choices than defensive choices. I, you're so right. You're over right. time, you're going to just have – I mean, I'd have, we'd have to break it down to look at the, the, the hit rate. Because what's their biggest defensive – like, what's the biggest mis- – oh, it's Sherratt. Sure. And that's like, bigger than any forward miss. This is true. It is bigger because their forward misses are Stephen Lawrence, Vinny Hinnestroza, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we wouldn't even be talking about Hannafin if we didn't make the Sherratt trade because we would have probably drafted the defenseman for the few that would have been, you know, playing next year and the year after or whatever. Possibly. Possibly. But, you know, but, that's, like, that's, I, I, I want to yes. But I want to say that, like, if I'm investing my resources to win the cup this year, I'm I'm doing it with a forward, and that that has been my point. And the one thing that we mentioned earlier with Spencer Knight and the trade that I think is I wonder what they think inside the organization because his save percentage was 896 when you last told me, and that's that's not great. Here's uh, the thing about Spencer Knight that I want to make because I do want to get this in very briefly. The Florida Panthers, like he is the last Dale Talon draft pick. Like, you know, Ludwig is now playing sometimes for Pittsburgh. But like, I, I don't know the, if Spencer Knight was a Dale Talon draft pick so much as everybody draft pick. You know, but he was drafted under a previous regime. He was yeah. not a Zito. He, Zito did not draft him. So I, I, it's unfair to treat him differently. But we already saw that Owen Tippett went to Philadelphia. Denisenko got claimed on waivers. Like, Knight's the last one pre-Zito arriving. Like, I know he's traded some yeah. of his draft picks away. He traded away Heineman. He traded away Levi. But, like, that's different than trading away, you know, he traded away Levi because he had Spencer Knight. But, and Devin Levi's in much the same boat as Spencer Knight is. Isn't that funny? 
here's where I stand on, on that night thing. The Panthers and the way they are evaluating goaltending and the things that they are doing with the Department of Excellence and Roberto and Leo Luongo and Rob Tallis, etc. What do we know they do every year? They draft the goalie every year in the draft in like the sixth round. It's very much akin to the analytics people in the NFL saying draft a quarterback in the sixth round. The Jaguars did that for years and I got Jake Luton out of it. Go Oregon State. So we know that the Panthers are going to do that every single year because their approach to goaltending is we're just going to go volume and eventually one of them's going to hit, right? It's clearly their approach. Now at the NHL level, what have they done recently? Under Bill Zito and company, they've found three guys, backups, AHL tweeners kinds of players who have turned out to be a lot better than that. Chris Drieger, the first year of Zito, right? We saw that what was happened. A, with... That was a talent move. Well, you're, you just, are correct. You are correct, but he came of age when he was playing with the Zito. And then what did the Panthers do? They, I mean, they didn't have to do much convincing, but they convinced the Seattle Kraken to take him and look what's happened. Now you saw last year with Alex Lyon, they got him in as your third goalie. It turned out he needed to be the second goalie. He saved their season, and, you know, he's doing similar-ish to Detroit this year. But the final one is this year is Stolarz, and Stolarz has honestly been a better goalie than Lyon has been. You know, I think Stolarz has been really good this year for the Panthers. What then I think we have then to say is, is Spencer Knight, like, whether they keep Stolarz next year or not, they're starting to develop a track record of finding guys that they can get on the cheap to be the, you know, 25-game player behind Bobrovsky, who has had an awesome season and is showing no signs of slowing down yet. Like, where is Spencer, where is Spencer Knight going to fit in at this rate? And I also want to ask you one question here, and I know what you, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but... Is, would Spencer Knight be doing better currently than Anthony Stolarz is doing, playing behind the same defense, same structure, same system? I don't think the answer to the question is yes. You would have to have the answer be unquestionably yes. And I don't think the answer is an unquestionable yes. I don't even think you could say the answer is yes. And thus, the Spencer Knight question then becomes like, have you reached a point that they reached with Owen Tippett where it's like, it doesn't necessarily matter what he does it just might not work out at this point. And for the Panthers' sake, like, Spencer Knight's their best trade chip. Somebody's going to want a good young goaltender. Like, if the Flames flip Markstrom, like, they might want a guy that they can grow with their team. Everybody could use a goalie like that. And if the Panthers decide, hey, you know, while we still have good enough Bobrovsky playing behind this system, we only need a decent-ish backup, you know, like a Stolarz type, and then we'll just keep finding signing goalies until one hits you know they've got uh guzda who's unfortunately had a lot of injuries they signed weber they're gonna draft another guy you know what i mean like by the point you get to the sergey bobrovsky is no longer sergey bobrovsky at this point stage is spencer not going to be good enough to be the starter in this organization you can't answer that at this point will they have already found another goalie by that point who ends up being you know devin levi level found money that's that's my organizational thinking question on Spencer Knight. Here's my here's my answer to that. And just to provide some context, because you mentioned some numbers. Yes, Spencer Knight is at an eight nine four save percentage and a two seven two goals against average through thirty four uh, games in the AHL. Guzda had only played two games. You've mentioned injuries. It's horrible but, what he's gone through. Yeah, it's really really sucks. But he was a a nine thirty. 
Now, you could take a lot of games from Spencer Knight over two-day period and have it match that 9.30. You can also take two games and have it be the worst on the team. What about Weber? Who Weber is an 8.87 through 15 games with a 3.09 goals against average. So that's not good. Well, that's the thing, but we don't know. You know, this is this is Weber's first time in, playing in North America for at least in a while, and uh, you know, he just might not be good either. Like that might also be the thing. But then let's pull up Devin Levi. Uh, in the AHL, Devin Levi has twelve games. He's at a nine two eight save percentage. So there is a big with a, difference with a two two point four eight. Saves, yeah. I mean, his goals against average is a little lower, but it's not astronomical lower. But again, those matriculate. They move less than a save percentage. And I don't really know how the resources we have for, like, goals saved above expected in the AHL. I know somebody has that, but I don't know how reliable that is. I don't know if that's public. I think you might have to pay for that. Eric Comrie has a 9-3-4 in four games. Dustin Tokarski has an 8 9 2 Devin Cooley has an eight nine one. Those are the other goalies who've played more than four games for the Rochester Americans. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's team dependent and everything. But I, I, what is the plan with Spencer Knight? I, I actually asked that in a tweet to George Richards this week because that is the question: How can you go into next year thinking he's the backup goalie? His cap hit obviously says he is. But I mean, how, what what do you need to see out of him this year? Because the boxcar stats are not showing that you can let Stolarz walk, like George Richards' piece was implying, because Knight's going to be the guy next year. I mean, there's I don't know what you what there is, but you know, there's the hope that. But if he's still struggling to to take over, uh, and it's not like. It's whether this was a nine twelve or whatever. I would expect Spencer Knight to start to you know at some point this season to start having consistent dominant efforts because that's the type of goalie he was supposed to be, and we're now nearing Henrik Borgstrom levels here. Of he was drafted. Going, you know, we're four years out of the draft here, and he's been a pro for over four years. Three. This is his fourth year pro, mm-hmm. and he's had extenuating circumstances. I we can all understand that he had to spend but time away from hockey. A lot of his, but he also has extenuating circumstances that he pushed, as in demanding playing time right away. Um, not wanting to ride the bus. This is why I compared him to Levi, because those situations felt very similar to me, and it was players who had leverage and use it, and there's no reason to, you know, criticize players for using their leverage. You have it, use it, please. But, like, it it has not worked out for him. The difference... What he wanted. The difference is Levi's struggling to adjust to the NHL level. Knight is struggling to perform at the AHL level. Levi is, you know, saving more pucks. And I, I, you know, when I've watched Levi in the AHL, it's more of a team issue, a Buffalo Sabres team issue. Um, what do you do when Bobrovsky has made it clear and reading between the lines, 
of what has been talked about. They had conversations after the playoff run with Bobrovsky about what he needs to be able to repeat that season. And they came away with a, signing a goalie who is best known for being okay only playing 25 games a year right now. And that's exactly what he's doing. And so, like, you know, so for me, it's Bobrovsky-related that, listen, when Knight, when, you know, Knight went down, I when I played, I was the guy and I stayed the guy and that's what I need. Uh, and they listened to that. How And Bobrovsky is looking great this year, having his best, in my opinion, his best regular season in Florida. Oh, it's not even close, and 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 I think some of that is the system. So how do you bring how so so is so how is it best for Knight to sit and only play twenty games as the backup next year? But with that cap hit, if he stays, he's got to be he's got to be at the NHL level. Uh, so what do you do? That's a tough question. What is the plan? Because, I mean. I feel for Knight. I feel for the Panthers organization because they're in a right now. They're in between a rock and a hard place. You don't want to give up on a young player when you don't have to, but they are almost at the point where their hand is being forced. Yes, but that was, but their hand has also been forced by some of their decisions. Zito chose to give give that contract at the beginning of a year when Knight hadn't really proven much. Definitely hadn't proven that amount. You look at Pitor Kuchekov, uh, drafted 26 picks later in the same draft, making $2 million on the cap, and he's a hell of a goalie. Hell of a goalie in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Spencer Knight is not. Again, you know, this is not a sprint, but, at the cert- but it, it becomes more of an elevated and quicker timeline when you rush them through the entry-level contract, which Zito and Knight did, and when you sign a big contract right off your ELC that gives you expectations to deliver, which Knight and Spencer did. I mean, look at Ottinger. Look, I mean, any of the comparables, when you look at the cap number or the age also, draft position, here's another comparable he's falling behind. This, this is correct, and here's another comparable for you. Askarov. What's he doing right now in the AHL for a team that won like 18 straight games? And this is because Luke Prokop played for them, by the way. I keep telling you, gay agenda, it's very strong. You have a gay player play for your team, you're going to win. But outside of that, like, he's been really, really good in the AHL. And the Predators are reaching the point where they can't keep him there any longer. And that's leading to Soros trade rumors. So what's his numbers, just for comparison's sake? Because, Uh, again, that's a first-round goalie. So I'm just going to give you his two games in the A in the NHL this year. This two games with the Predators is a 9.43 save percentage and a 1.47 goals against average. It's pretty good over two games. In the in Milwaukee, it's 29 games and he has a 9.20 save percentage and a 2.11 goals against average. You see the difference. Yes, and if you want to. And we can go, you know, let's look at Kosa, Sebastian Kosa. That's right, Red Wings. Um, There's also Jesper Wallstead. Is he playing for Iowa? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be get his. 
He's with Grand Rapids in the AHL. Kose is, yes. Yeah, 24 games, 9-11 save percentage, and a 2-6-1 goals against average. So somewhat similar goals against average, but still better. Way better save percentage. Um, uh, So, yeah. Well said. Who is my favorite of all these goalies we've talked about and the one I would consider the best uh, is with Iowa and he has a 906 and a 287. So Okay. Yeah, not doing not doing great. So uh, like and, and we only are bringing these up for comparison's sake just to show you like and the the difference is with yes. Spencer Knight is he's got the contract which the only other goalie of that ilk that has the contract is Kachetkov and he's been playing in the A in the NHL because the Hurricanes need him to because their other goalies are hurt. What a shock. I also I also think Jake Ottinger is another good point because the cap hits right there and they were similar American goalies first round from the dev program, went to college, all that. Uh, I've and they're not too far off in age, which is scary. No, and, and Ottinger has been I mean like we know what Jake Ottinger's been. Yes, the Dallas Stars are one of the contenders against the Panthers, and it's because of Jake Ottinger. Not yeah, you know. So, and again, this you got to take the person out of this because when you're chasing a cup and you're in a cap world, and you know that's just, and you don't have many assets, and you're looking. All right, my two best assets are Sam Eskevich and Spencer Knight. I, it's really hard to trade Sam Eskevich, who has done everything you've asked of him, has yeah. continued to level up, is younger, is on a better cost-effective deal, and looks like he's going to solve an issue for you pretty cost-effectively next year. And, man, can he score some goals. He's, he's electric, and he scores some goals. And out of every Ford you've drafted in the first round, that wasn't Anton Lundell, Sasha Barkov, or Jonathan Huberdeau. He's the only one that actually start that like looks like a first round draft pick when you play him in NHL games. Like he like goes out and does first round draft pick stuff against NHL competition on his own without being like forced to or told he stinks or getting you know waved to the AHL multiple times. So mm-hmm. I, it's hard to trade him, and then sort of you know. Uh, there's just that's like your third best asset right and evan now i don't know how much cash today they're gonna get and spencer knight is cash cap space too and so it's a double reward and you know you might not get that much for spencer knight but if you're telling me keeping spencer knight is going to make me lose montour or reinhardt or forsling (laughs) i don't I don't know if that's worth it to me. I I want and and I think when I look at like and then also we you know we're in a we're in a position where we just saw what Gustav Forsling did to win a game, like and I we're in a we're in a Forsling mindset. But to me, like when I think about keeping those players because they haven't done it yet. Although and as I keep saying, I think they're going to keep all of them. I I don't think any are going to walk, not at this point. If any are going to walk, it would be Montour at this point. I think Reinhardt and Forsling are too important. But when I look at what, like, what skill sets can you replicate? What skill sets can you find elsewhere on the market by any means if you are the Florida Panthers? You can't really find Reinhardt's skill set somewhere. 
because Reinhardt is a uniquely gifted player, not just because of his offense, but defensively and the things he does defensively, right? Gustav Forsling is one of one. There aren't many defensemen out there like Gustav Forsling and the things he is doing, right? Right. And in many ways, he is very symbolic of what this era of the Florida Panthers are. Brandon Montour, and I'm going to be honest, I still think he's recovering from the injury. And, like, it took Matthew Kachuk a while to, you know, overcome the fact that he broke his sternum to get to be Matthew Kachuk again. Like, Brandon Montour could be Brandon Montour again in the playoffs. But what is so key to me is, like, I think you can find Brandon Montour types out there a lot more easily than you could find Gustav Forsling types out there. And, like, every cap dollar is going to be so important because you know the Panthers are going to be capped out in the future. And they're going to want to keep as many of their guys as they can. Like, those guys, like, I think Bill Delzito sees them all as part of, like, that group. And I do think he thinks Montour is there. But, like, there is, there, there might be Brandon Montours out there. I don't think there's Sam Reinhardt's and Gustav Forsling's out there. And that's, and that's been my point. And I think the Forsling game he just played is such an example of, like, there's nobody out there like Gustav Forsling. There, there really isn't. Like, I, I, and I, I implore, George and David and Colby to give him the uh, Norris votes that he deserves. It's not just because he has some of the best defensive numbers in the league, but like the things he's doing, right? Like, I don't even think, and we're obviously huge Forsling fans, but like, I don't think even we're appreciating just how good he's been this year and the things he is doing, right? I, I know I made the comment about Aaron Eckblad saying we keep our wives away from him when he's shirtless. Like, I understand that. Like, maybe not the words I would use, but fine. But, like, the dude's a machine. You, you don't let players... Like, the more unique you get, I don't think you can let that walk. And it's like, I'd put him up there. Like, it's not Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr level, you know, or Adam Fox or any of these other guys. But, like, the way the Panthers play, there's no better fit than him. And I just don't think you let players like that walk. I do want to end this show with one other thing. There's more I wish we could have gotten to, but I want to end it with this. Remember how I kept telling you that sometimes why hockey don't worry about us being not wrong just early and our bits sometimes turn out to be a little too true. Yarmo Kekalainen, and future Panthers head European scout, right, Tommy? Yes. Yeah. And I'm all for it. Obviously the Panthers there's... have a Kekalainen deficit right now when you think <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the defensemen, the Columbus blue jackets have been drafting. Those are the defensemen, the Florida Panthers need to be drafting to replenish what they have. Uh, th- that's a lot of good picks in the late first, mid first, second and third round uh, that I think play the type of hockey uh, that Maurice has put out there. Uh, and they've there. I think most of them have won medals uh, at the world junior championships. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys from Chechia uh, Slovakia and Canada. So that just kind of happens. Um, but in the last couple of years, they've been great teams. So, um, you know, I think that's, ex- it'd be great to have, uh, obviously with the family connection, uh, to former head of European scout, uh, Yari, um, that would be, Oh, I mean, I would love it. Cause I, you know, there's he might not be Jim, but he has to give you surplus value as a scout. Has to. Mm, this is a very interesting story that can be written about, you know, the Blue Jackets and Yarmo. Here's the thing I want to say about 
it's really funny how the Panthers hired the best, you know, member of that front office away. But also maybe not because Chris McFarlane was in that organization and now is in Colorado. I wanted to compare the Columbus Blue Jacks to the mid-2010s Vox Media of hockey front offices. You have all of this talent and you somehow fetter it away for nothing. That's a great joke for those of you out there who uh, follow media trends as I do and know who, everybody who used to work at Fox in the sports department, etc., etc. Um, can I say one other thing about it, though? Like, he just wasn't good at the team-building parts of it. He was really good at identifying talent and finding talent and drafting talent. But the team-building part of it, he's been really bad at that. And, and the coach hiring, other than torts, which worked for them, like, he's just not been good at all of these other aspects. Who was supposed to teach him that and mentor him with that? John Davidson? John Davidson. Why Are is you he surprised? Here's what I think the reasoning is. Based on what the, the public tea leaves are saying, um, it is. it seems to me that when John Davidson was in um, New York, when he was the president of Hockey Ops in New York, the entire organizational structure fell apart in Columbus. Like he's the glue holding that thing together, and he's but apparently the got the organization trust of owners. that they have is not even good enough. So what's the point? And he hasn't seemed to be able to, in multiple iterations with Columbus, get it over the line. I don't think anything ill of him. Uh, you know, I love him as a broadcaster and a lot of stuff. But I mean, I think at this point, Columbus needs to clean house a lot and if you know yarmo was held ex held responsible i think the guy who was supposed to groom him and build out his his you know toolbox to be more than just a talent evaluator should go as well because this, this is a failure and if they can't live without john davidson they're going to get folded very quickly because he can't live forever i i agree with you like like, it's honestly surprising that he's not been fired. And I just, like, I, it, it, again, it's, isn't it amusing to me, like, how the Colorado Avalanche, one of the best-run teams in the NHL, have a former Blue Jacket, you know, guy in the front office, right? And the Florida <laughs> Panthers, who are now one of the best-run teams in the NHL, have a former Blue Jackets guy running their show. Like, there are a lot of really yeah. smart people that came up in that front office. And, for and John reason, Davidson couldn't backfill them. And and Kekalainen couldn't backfill them. It's just, it's weird, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, the, and, and, and I think that's why I'm saying Kekalainen is like a, you know, like how in Bill Zito, he's got his, uh, his, um, his Rick Dudleys of the world and Scott Fettens of the world. Like, I am going to put you in a position where all you have to do is evaluate talent. The rest of this that you clearly struggled with. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, so anyway, I think that's just about all we could get to today. Remember, your why hockey bits sometimes turn into truth more often than you think, and we're never wrong just early. I think the next time you'll be hearing from us will be trade deadline. Looking forward to it, and uh, I'm looking forward to some of these games. Panthers are playing, you know, pretty good hockey at this point, and uh, they don't need to win the President's Trophy. Hint, hit, wink, wink. But it'd be nice to win the division. It would be very nice to win the division, although I would say I don't... I don't really care who they play at this point, although playing Tampa would be quite fun. Anyway, until then, of course, good night and good hockey.